This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Adam Jones and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And of course, preview the crunch, the crucial game at the London Stadium tomorrow. Everton going to West Ham in the game that Carlo Ancelotti has effectively said is win or bust for European aspirations this season. So we'll get the lads' thoughts on the game. Of course, David Moyes, the season he's having and the job he's doing down there. We'll also talk about James Rodriguez. Um, Ancelotti also telling us yesterday that the transfers he hopes to make in the summer, he hopes will create a more attacking team next season. So that's interesting. Uh, James Carragher, son of Jamie, he is suddenly been thrust into the Everton agenda. Everton trying to sign him for the under-23s and we'll talk about that. Uh, and we'll briefly touch on, um, of course, UEFA's punishment in inverted commas for the uh, ESL uh, teams who, uh, who tried to break away. But um, Adam, I think we'll, start, we'll just start with West Ham and we'll start with Moyes. Um, he really feels like that 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 David has is, is, has massively turned his career around, having left Everton with such a well earned and sterling reputation. He, he he took a bit of a battering, didn't he? But um, you know he he's back doing very very well with West Ham. Kept them up last season, and he's got them in Champions League contention this 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 time round. Um, just give us your thoughts on on, on Moisey and the and the job that he's done. I'm I'm really happy for him to be honest. You know, it was it was a it was a bit funny when he left Everton and he was absolutely dreadful for a little bit. You know, the United stint was quite funny. Uh, the Sociedad stint was quite funny as well. But then, like when it when it you know transpired, you I was I did start thinking to myself, he still is a good manager. Like he just needs to find the club that fits him. For ages, I thought Newcastle would be the the right club that was going to fit him. I thought he would have done a real. A really good job for Newcastle, but I suppose you know being an ex Sunderland manager that might have uh, that might have kiboshed those sorts of those sorts of plans. But you know he's found West Ham, and at the at the second time of trying, uh, they've actually kept him on this time. And you know I, I think I'm I'm really happy for him because he he has just he, he he's done something. I, w- I wouldn't say it's like what he did at Everton. To be honest, I think you know he's he's obviously working with a, a much bigger budget. I think he's starting from a better. Uh, base uh, with West Ham than he was at Everton, but you know to to get that team, which was you know right at the bottom end of the table last season, and to get them up into Champions League football, you know in in what is in what has been an inconsistent season, West Ham have actually been one of the more, especially since the turn of the year, they've been one of the more consistent sides in the league. You know they've been taking on some of the bigger sides in the league, getting the points that they need against. Uh, the teams in the bottom half of the table as well, which is something that Everton haven't really been able to do. So I, th- I think you've just you've only got to be impressed with Moyes to to get West Ham even to this point. And if they even if they don't get into the Champions League at the end of the day, like this that's got to be one of West Ham's best seasons in years and years. And you know, it, it's a lot of it is down to Moyes and the way he's set them up. You know he's got them set up being very organised, but you know on the counter attack they've got some. Absolutely lethal players. I think the signing of Jesse Lingard was an inspiration in January, as it turned out, because you know you, you could have seen his form uh, coming from the from the turn of the year. So, yeah, I, I think you've got to give full credit to David Moyes, and you know you've got 
a lot of Everton fans looking enviously across at West Ham at the minute because of because of how well they've been playing since the turn of the year. Mm. Um, you know, and, and as you said, in, in some respects, it, it, it isn't a typical kind of Everton comparison because you started from a better base. But in terms of, you know, you look back at the, at the best Moyes teams when he was here with us and, and, and those teams that kind of defied the odds and, and, and it was always getting to Europe. Possession wasn't something that we, we sort of dominated. And I was just looking before we started recording. West Ham's average possession in the Premier League this season is 41.8%. Which I think speaks yeah. volumes for for the, for the way they play. As as comparison, ours is forty seven point eight. So ours isn't great, but West Ham's is 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 significantly lower. City yeah. have the best, of course, sixty four point four. West Brom have the worst, thirty seven point eight. Um, it does feel, Gav, as though it, 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 you know, as much as it's a little bit of a different Moyes, it's almost also very much you know the Moyes we knew as well. Um, yeah, to a degree. I think when he played at Goodison, when he won one 0 that was a like a Moise, you know, stay in the game away from home and sort of, you know, pushing the last 10, 15 minutes. But I've watched a lot of West Ham certainly away from home since Christmas and they've been they've played as good a stuff in it as anybody in that in that time. I mean at Burnley on Monday, certainly the first half, they were superb. Now some of the uh, the possession and, and breaking the you know, as you say, it's play on the break. There was one move, I think, where Ben Rama just tried to put in Antonio and he just missed. And it was like a sort of, it sort of, the ball went up and down the pitch. It was that, that possession for about like sort of, you know, like 30, 40 seconds, a couple of nice flicks and stuff, which even in Moises' best teams, I don't think um, that had. Because I think what they've got with West Ham, they've got pace. And Moises' <laughs> teams never really had pace. They were, they were, you know, and I'm a massive fan of Moises, as you well know. Um, and I think you know his post. I think his post Goodison career has been sort of damaged by sort of bad decisions. I think he was stitched up at United. I mean, replacing Ferguson was always going to be a big, uh, big challenge. And I think also got David Gilgo and that. You know that the same summer didn't help as Woodward came in, didn't he? Um, he was stitched up. He wasn't given enough. Trans- you know, they promised him the world, didn't he? Gareth Bale, Ronaldo, you know, Alcantara. Um, Tony Cruz, I think, was, was, was mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Probably all that. And he ended up getting Fellaini. You know, uh, we thought you'd expect to matter. And he's, he's had to matter off. You know, not exactly, uh, you know, for the, for the team that needs to be building completely, because Ferguson being in those things last few years, he, he was, he sort of, he, he did pick this, pick up the short straw more. He's at, at Man United. And let's face it, they've hardly won four or five Premier League since, have they? Um, then, I mean, let's face it, um, La Liga, especially when Moyes went five, six years ago, you know, right near the top ends of like sort of the best in Europe. Um, and many good British coaches, and dare I say pundits, have mm. been found out uh, in La Liga, you know, over the years from my experience. Uh, and then Sunderland, well, I mean, let's face it, you'd have the combination of Ancelotti and Guardiola, Sunderland in the mid 2010s, and uh, they'd struggle to probably keep them up. Yeah, so, so, I mean, Sunderland did feel, Gav, and I, and I use this term lightly, Sun, that taking the Sunderland job did feel like a bit of a desperate last grab that he maybe felt yeah, like yeah. he wasn't, wasn't going to get an opportunity again. And that's possibly yeah, yeah. why he took it. <clears throat> yeah, and also as well, I mean, as well, after his folk started as well at West Ham in his 17-18, I think his last game was against us, wasn't it, when the ass scored, was it? Mm. Uh, I mean... What happened to them in the interim years? They probably would have been better off keeping them. But yeah, I think it's great. To, you know, huge admirer Moyes did a great job at Evan. Whatever people say about away records and stuff, looking at his overall, you know, 
I think not just results, but generally, like you saw, like bring and play great, you know, very good managers make players to bring in better players. And Moyes turns lower division players into England internationals, you know, and you know, you've got, and not just one, probably four or five in that time. So you can't, uh, can't criticize, I mean, you can criticize some bits of goods from, but uh, overall, of course, did a you know, terrific job. And it's, you know, it's good to see that he's, he's, He's probably thinking now, I think, of West Ham, but I've just got to go for it because what other options he's got as a manager, really? You know, there's no point in like, getting West Ham in 15th and playing traditional football. And he has been gifted some good players, but some good business in the summer, wasn't it? Kukul, Suchak, Ben Rahman in the summer yeah. um, to, to some decent players. And they've got a lot of pace. I thought they were tremendous at Burnley. It's not the easiest place to go over Monday night. On, uh, I mean, they certainly maybe they have 22 attempts on goal. Was it something like that? Um, which you don't normally associate with all due respect, Moyes away from home, but they've done that also, you know, since Christmas away from home. And you know, he threw away two points, well, three points against Arsenal, didn't he? Yes, uh, yeah, winning three yeah. 0 Yeah, so yeah, for all, for all, yeah, I think he, he's done a tremendous job at West Ham, and I'm, I'm really, really pleased for him. And there was a question this week, it'd be interesting, would if they got into the Champions League with West Ham, would that be a Bigger achievement getting in the Champions League with Everton. I know, like, we never got through to the group stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You know, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think having said that, I mean, probably cover this later on, is you just said there, Phil Carlo said there was a must win game on Sunday. We win our game hand and won on Sunday, which we're perf- perfectly capable of doing. We'd be on the same points as West Ham. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. we're not that far behind. You know, it's not. You know, but yeah, he's done a yeah, someone up tremendous job left hand. And, um, uh, you know, made up. We'll uh, we'll come back to the to the uh, the win or bust uh, feeling about this game. Yeah. Add add um, Gav there, and you you were sort of nodding and uh, in in agreement. You know, West Ham look like they're a team with pace. Uh, do you know any teams that are a bit slow? Any, uh, any ideas? <laughs> there is one team particularly who play in playing blue. Just tend to walk around the pitch quite a, quite a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look, you, you you've written about it quite a lot recently, and and, and you know, and we were both talking about it last last weekend uh, at the game. You know, it, how much of an issue is it for you looking at this Everton team pace? Because there is pace in certain areas. Godfrey mm-hmm. is probably the quickest player in the team. Dean's no slouch. Decore is quick, covers a lot of ground. You, you know. Dominic and we know Richarlison can motor, but for me, it's it's pretty much everybody else isn't isn't quick enough, and the, and the gap between those five or six players and the rest for me is is a bit of a concern. I'm not sure whether it's just direct, you know, pace that is, that is the actual issue. You know, like a top speed of a player. I'm not I'm not sure that we need to, you know, just have eleven absolutely rapid players all over the pitch. I'm not sure. That's the issue. And I think, you know, weirdly looking at West Ham is, you know, a really good example of this. Thomas Suchek plays in midfield for them. He's not he's not <laughs> quick, but he is everywhere on the pitch. You know, you can make a tackle at one end and then he's running, just busts a gut to get himself up at the other end of the pitch. And we'd have to compare that to, let's say, Andre Gomez in our team. He's probably the, the closest amalgamation that we've got to a, a Thomas Suchek in our squad at the minute with Decore. Uh, not being in the team, for example, and <laughs> could you imagine Andre Gomez doing that? Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's the issue that I've got. Like I think there's 
there's a lot of players in our team who are just very. I don't want to say lackadaisical, but they, what they pace? Yeah, they just they just seem to dwell too much on the ball. I think it's not just pace; it's speed of thought as well. Okay. Like they just okay. they just tend to need too much time to to assess their options ahead of them. And I think Gomez is one of them. I think Holgate proved that he was one of them uh, against Aston Villa as well. And you know, when you've got too many of those players in that squad, it just slows it just slows the entire entire game down and. That, that's why I just think to myself, well, if if you need Everton on a counter-attack, then you need players who are going to make that quick pass, that quick decision instantly. And, you know, second half against Aston Villa especially, we, we just didn't have that. Did we? we, you know, we're making the wrong decisions all over the pitch. We're not accurate enough in our passes. I think we take too much time on the ball. And then as as a as an added factor into that, I don't think we've got enough pace, you know, especially in the wider areas, you know, when we were playing. Uh, Sigurdsson and Iwobi for a lot of that game against Aston Villa. You know they, you know, very good players in their own right when they're you know in the right positions and doing doing what they're meant to be doing. But you know, as as wingers, you know, you know it, they're very easy to defend against, aren't they? Because the the slow, <laughs> so they're gonna mm. they're gonna cut inside. Yeah. That's just uh, that's just their natural instinct. They're not gonna try and beat you and get down to the byline and get across into Dominic Calvert Lewin. So. I think that's that's the area that we're probably needing pace the most, just to just to get out wide and you know actually utilize the the striker probably with the best heading ability in the Premier League at the minute. <laughs> it, it's it's mad that yeah, we don't yeah. use that, uh, that well. Yeah, enough. That, so, that that is a good point. Add that you know is clearly that Dominic is is a, is 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 vital and a focal point of and I'm not saying we're building the team around him, but he is spearheading the attack. So as you say, mm-hmm. I remember in the first season. Uh, you know, the first six months of Carlo, he said on on record a couple of times, we have to put crosses in the box. And that's why we often perhaps saw Sidibe, for all his faults defensively, play because that that lad could put a cross in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was, was going to say, like, we saw that first, Carlo's first game, didn't we? It was Sidibe's, like, early cross that Calvert-Lewin got onto. And we saw that throughout throughout last season. We just haven't really... Apart from if if you know Dean bombed forward on the left hand side, we haven't really got anybody who's actually consistently putting crosses into the box from open play. You know, and maybe you know Hamez was at the start of the season when he was playing on the right hand side, but now that he's yeah. playing central, he's not he's not even getting really that opportunity anymore. So it's it, yeah, it, it's it does seem odd to me, and I think particularly you know a, an addition of pace down that that the flanks in particular, I think that'll give us a, a bit of a a bit of just added uncertainty to to attack a defence. You know, are are we going to cut inside and use the likes of Hamez or Sigurdsson, or or are we going to try and get to the byline and use Calvert Lewin? Because at the minute, it is just very you know one paced as you as you said before. Gav, sorry, you were itching to say something. I interrupted. Sorry. No, no, no. I was going to go back to something I said on Monday when you were talking about you know you were talking Phil about building a team like Calvert Lewin and not you know we shouldn't you know but I said on Monday in the pod that I, I get all that but it's up to Calvert Lewin to me. I'll just repeat what I said on Monday now. I'll be you know, just as a reminder. It's up to him to do more as well, isn't he? He's got to make you yes. know. I, I I fully get why you want to play to your strengths, but you've got to have a range of. You know, the best teams have a range of attack and threats, don't they? Not just one. And I think, um, you know, the, the, I, re, I really, you know, really rate Calvert-Lewin and stuff. He has to do a little bit more. But we've got to, we've got to do more from attack and threat, which builds on from what you were saying at the start, I suppose. 
that Ancelotti said he wants to have yeah. buy more attacking players in the B yeah. so, to see what sort of strategy he wants wants from that, you know. Yeah, well, just just as a reminder, anybody who hasn't caught up with the story that was out this morning, you can read it on on the website. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So I asked Carlo directly. Said Carlo, I think some supporters are growing concerned that the team might be too slow. Do you think they're too slow? Do you think the team's too slow? And he re- he arched the eyebrow and 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 started laughing, <laughs> and, and, and sort of gave gave me that knowing look and sort of said, "Yeah, look, like all teams, we have strengths and weaknesses." But then went on yeah. to basically elaborate and say, "Look, to take the next step, we have to play more attacking football." And yeah. you know the, the the squad reinforcements we're looking to make will yeah. will reflect will reflect that. So we, look, we know the club want a new right back. So obviously, you know the profile yeah. of play is going to be somebody you can get up and down. We know they want a winger. It's whether or not it remains a little bit uncertain whether there is another player maybe on 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 the radar in terms of an attacking midfielder. I mean, do you think we need that Gav as well as a winger? And as well as well, well, I think he, I think he said in the piece that he said he sort of hinted that they might need a midfielder, but they just you know the problem we've got is really is when we say mid. If I said to you we need a midfielder, what type of midfield do you think that we would we would need? You know, well, well because we the... might need a defense. Yeah, might need yeah. a defensive midfielder, might we? But we also probably need somebody as an attacker midfielder as well. And so, I mean, this, is, this, this, this is me rather sort of crassly and very, very simply summing it up. But we'll, we'll talk about Hammers in a minute. But it, yeah, feels yeah. To me that, it feels to me that, yes, we have Sigurdsson, but it does kind of feel to me that there isn't somebody who's an, uh, a more of a, not like for like, but has similar qualities to Hammers. So if Hammers isn't playing, where's that yeah. player that, that can, as Adam says, play quicker passes and... It just feels to me that's yeah. something we're missing. Yeah, you mean you mean like Jesse Lingard? <laughs> well, poss- <laughs> hey, possibly, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not saying like I'm just. He's an obvious. You know, bear in mind you're playing West Ham on Sunday. As soon as you said that question, that was the first name. Possibly because we were discussing West Ham, that came into mind. That mm. um, he buzzes around the pitch, big creative scores goals, got a bit of pace. Um, not saying we should. Well, I suppose he's still on the market, isn't he? Potentially. Yes. Um, but um, that type of player you're talking about, and I think that's I think that's right. Sigurdsson yeah. won't give you that, will he? He'll give you no. the, the the end product. Yes. But he won't give you the uh, he won't give you that sort of ninety minutes of energy, will he? Mm. Uh, do you do you think that that's what supporters are craving? You know, and and would look at this team now and go, look, well, next season, if you know, eighteen months of Carlo progress. Hopefully, fingers crossed, Europe this season. But we have to start playing, in inverted commas, better next season if we're going to start pushing. Yeah, I think there's there's still very much an understanding this season that Carlo Ancelotti's only really had one transfer window, hasn't he? Because you know, he doesn't think Everton have made quite clear over the last few years that they don't quite like to work in January. And I would, I would agree with that. I just don't think the January market's worth it uh, a lot of the time. So... I would only consider that Carlo Ancelotti's only really had you know one one transfer window to try and uh, bolster this squad, and you know how, how many times this season have all four of those signings actually been able to play together? You know we've had Tcoreo for a long time, Alan had his own long term injury, Hammers as as we're going to talk about in a minute has has had his injury issues. You know the only one who's been 
consistently fit is Ben Godfrey, and he joined on deadline day, didn't he? So he did, he wasn't here until October, was it? Start of October. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it, it, it it's not come with with issues, and I think you know Carlo Ancelotti has done well to work with the with the players that he's still got. To be honest, I think it it's still it still very much needs to be a, 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 a little bit of a clear out, especially in midfield. I think Everton still needs to cleared out a tiny little bit and you know this needs to be a number of quality signings in the summer but you know if that if that transpires and you know Everton do get the targets that they want etc like I think at that point then fans will start going okay right now you now you do have the the kind of players that you want now the, the system that you want to build should be starting to come to the surface and Everton should be starting to play uh, better football because I think for for large parts of the season, you know, we have played, you know, a, a more defensive sort of style, but I think that's probably that's probably been thrust upon us more than anything else because of the, you know, the selection issues that we had at the time for for each of those games. So and, you know, the the type of teams that we were playing against as well. There was no point in December us going and trying to full force attack Chelsea and Arsenal, was there? You know, that was just that was just the hand that we were dealt and I think we dealt with it quite well in the end. But I think from next season onwards, you know, when we do have those better quality players, hopefully as part of the squad, we've pumped a little bit more money uh, onto the pitch. Then you know, maybe maybe we should be playing uh, a, lot, a lot more attacking football. And you know, fingers crossed that can uh, that can come about because it's been it's been a rough season at times. I have to mm, say, yeah, yeah, it do, it does feel like Gavin, and again, massively simplifying the whole thing. It almost feels like first six months he came in, had a look, worked out. Right, let's get a small, yeah. solid base. Second season, he spoke priority was energy in midfield, but brought yeah. that with Allen and Takore. And then you do feel that next summer is about right. We're going to strengthen up the up the top. And do, do you feel that we have to? Yeah. we we have to play better, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think goes back. <laughs> the interesting thing about the absence of support this year, isn't it? Whether whether. Yes. Does that mean you can get away with playing a bit more defensively at home? You know what I mean? Because there's no supporters there. Um, I'd also say, you know, that obviously last year when we talk about number of transfer windows, it wasn't exactly a, a, a you know, a sort of, you know, typical last year's transfer, a typical transfer window, was it? Really? I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. There, that's probably well, the I'll, best. I'll, yeah, typical. I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you, I'll give you Marcel Brand's yeah. description. Weird. Weird, yeah, 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 even better. Um, so it was a weird uh, transfer window last summer. So there's probably be a bit of a weird one this year. We've got the Euros and you know mm. and all that. So in many respects, it is. This is his first one, isn't it? And I think two. It's there's two things I think that's significant here, Phil. One is like where we buy in terms of positions on the pitch, and the second, the age range of people that we buy. Because I don't think we can go out and buy a 28 year old right back and a 29 year old right winger and a you know, with 27, 28-year-old uh, midfielder. Um, I think I think we we need to, you know, we need to bet, better balance age-wise and sort of get better value for money. Uh, I can see why we did the business we did last year. Um, Carla bringing in players that he could trust. But, uh, and Godfrey is a good example of what, the sort of type of signings we want in the future. Yeah. Uh, and well, well, I Godfrey. That, not that not that Carlo has any 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 doubts with Marcel. Far from quite the opposite, it would seem. Yeah, yeah. But but as you mentioned, there, Godfrey would be a great example for Marcel. If there's ever a, if there is a discussion or if there is a bit of a difference of opinion, yeah, 
Marcel just slaps a picture of Godfrey on the table and goes, well, look, trust me, because this is yeah. what you know, younger players can deliver for you. Yeah, well, what I would say is sometimes defense, if you're playing in defence, it, it's, it's actually quite easy. I think when you get forward, they, they, they cost more, don't they? And they, yeah. You know, for players at a younger age. Um, and it's just being interesting to see what the, the actual strategy itself is in terms of the age range of people that we're going for. Uh, this transfer window, and I'd say this is his first one. I, I think yeah. he probably probably do that as well. I think Marcel would as well. Um, and even then, I think there's going to be difficulties uh, this year. And and the, the things like uh, is FFP um, operating yes. or you know Premier League uh, rules on on spend. Um, uh, you know what are the rules? Can somebody please tell us. Was that also dictates? Um, yes. You know 100%. what we did. Yeah, uh, and uh, in the in the, I know we're going to talk about the Super League later. In, in the uh, you know, in all of that, on all of those discussions, these important bits that affect us have sort of been pushed aside. Where somebody asked me about FFP at the moment, I'd say, "Well, I've got a clue about what." I know we sort of had this two-year embargo on it, but mm. it wasn't really like that. Um, I just mm. think um, it'd be interesting to see what, what, what better the club actually. <laughs> Yeah, can, can you tell us how much we can spend in the summer? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, good <laughs> point. To be fair, it's not, not an unrealistic question, to be honest with you. No, and it, it's, and a, it's, a good, it's a good point. And, and um, yeah. I think it was a guy called Mike on the Q&A we did a couple of weeks ago, asked me that very question. Yeah. And I said, and I said, as you said, the honest answer is I don't know. Um, but I'm going to go away and try and find out in the coming weeks anyway. So we will try and get yeah. some sort of answers to that. Um, yeah. Adam Hammers, um, despite Carlo's confidence immediately after the Villa game, um, Hammers has not trained this week and Conte Carlo will not be involved on Sunday and won't start training again until next week. It's a real blow, obviously. What did you make? I don't know if you appreciate you weren't working yesterday, it was your day off, but I don't, did you, were you aware of Carlo's reaction to some... So being sort of pushed in the questions by uh, by Colombian journalists in the press conference, you got a little bit spiky. Yeah, yeah, I have I have heard about this. I've not seen it, but I've yeah, I've, I've heard about it. Do you think you know? It's an, it was an understandable question. I think Carlo was caught in a bit of a rock between a rock and a hard place, and that the Colombian journalist was asking well for some details. What is the injury? Carlo's just sort of generalising, and Carlo saying, look. It's a private matter, and you know it's not for me to say what the issue is. But you know, it it, it does feel like we're becoming. Hamez is the most talented player in the team. He's you know he's so important. We're desperate to see him fit and playing every week. But there is a frustration that he gets three or four games, and then and then and then can't, and then drops out for a couple of weeks. Isn't isn't there? And, and nobody's. I don't think nobody's pointing the finger, or it's just there is a frustration now, isn't there? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, it, it's probably an issue that a lot of people foresaw. I would say uh, in the summer, because you know, obviously, James hasn't really had the the right amount of game time over the last couple of seasons. So this is probably the most football he's played in a long while already. You know, even even with his injury problems that he's had this season. So you know, we were all we were always going to be, you know, trying to manage the amount of return that we were going to get from James. I think. You know, at the start of the season, he, he actually kept himself fit for quite a long period, didn't he? So, you know, that was that was maybe a little bit of a surprise, and it's maybe it's maybe conditioned us to thinking that you know he can stay fit for these long periods of time when 
in in reality, it just it just turns out that he he, he probably can't. I mean, if, if it's this if it's this calf issue that's keeping him out again, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was the first injury that he had, didn't he? Is that one he picked up picked up all those all those months ago, back in October or something like that? And it's just been just been eating away at him since. And you know, it. I think the most frustrating thing about it right now is that you know we had that long period of the time was it in like February and March where. Ancelotti, you know, I think it was the right decision still, but like Ancelotti and Rodriguez kind of agrees, you know, mm. you just sit out the sides, don't play when you're 95% fit, for example, make sure you get back and you're, you're 100% fit. And he's come, he's come back apparently 100% fit and, you know, he's played, what is it, one or two games and he's got injured again, which is, it, it is it is really unfortunate, you have to say. And it, it is frustrating because, the like, it goes back to what we were saying before. We haven't really got somebody who can step into James Rodriguez's shoes, have we? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a yeah. very difficult thing to do because he's a he's an extremely talented footballer. But even in the style and the manner that he plays, I think you were right in saying before that he is different from Gilfie Sigurdsson. That you know, Sigurdsson is a lot more end product, as Gav was saying, rather than you know being invo- like involved intrinsically in the build up and stuff like that. So that I think that's made it a lot tougher because you know we've had like against Aston Villa for example we had James Rodriguez drop out and you know Alex Awobi came into the side and you know Alex Awobi is not in form and he's he's just a very different player to James Rodriguez isn't he and it just completely changed it potentially completely changed the way Everton were going to approach that game and how they were going to build up and try and break down Aston Villa so. You know, it, it, it's tough when you when you've got, you know, probably your your best quality player who's only available for maybe 60 percent of the games of a season. But hopefully, hopefully in the summer when we we can sign new players, we'll be able to manage that a little bit better, and we'll be able to spread the quality over the pitch a little bit better. But for these last few games of the season, I think you know it it, it is going to be frustrating if we can't have James Rodriguez playing for the majority of them. You know, we're not going to have him for the West Ham game. Are we at least going to have him for the last four, four, four after that? And like, you, you're going to have to hope we've got him for at least the majority of those last four games of the season because I just don't see how Everton are going to pick up the points that they need to pick up if he's not in the team. Mm. Certainly, think yeah. uh, we'll all be watching the Copa America sort of uh, through our fingers, won't we? This summer, just thinking, please, please, <laughs> please, 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 either Colombia go out early or Hammers yeah. do. N- just, just bring him off after 60 minutes and protect him. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, uh, how, how, do, how do we set up tomorrow then? Looks like Decore's back and, you know, I think our suspicion, although there's no, there's no firm intel on this at this point, but our suspicion is that Decore will play because, as Carlo said, it's, yeah. it's win, win or bust, so... I don't know why he wouldn't play Decor, right? Um, how, how do we set up without Hammers? Um, that's it. Well, if Shima Decor is playing mm. uh, yeah. in Saston, I think, um, I mean, I just think, I've said this before, I prefer us to play 4 3 3 where possible. And even if Dean's playing, I don't know. You know, a Wobi, Calvert Lewin, Richarlison up front. I just think they look far more. Far. We've got to go for it. 
uh, you know, that's what we need to do, don't we? And then the midfield today. I mean, one person we've not really spoken about at all, let's talk about selection, is Tom Davis, mm. isn't it? Who has been, I think, a lot of the stuff I've listened to and read, there's a certain, certain mystery around Tom Davis's absence and the fact that Delphi's come on a couple of times. So yeah. I, 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 I play Davis in midfield. I play 4 3 3, go for it. Davis, um, Alan, Decore. And Alan, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd go for it and that. So it gives you t- three, three up top to core I box the box and uh, I'd have Davis and Alan holding or Davis holding and Alan getting a bit forwards a little bit more would, would be uh, would be my bet. I mean, the other, the other Kwanzaa, I suppose, given our last two home performances, is who the two centre-halves going to be. I think Godfrey is a given. Though he was poor last Saturday or whenever it was, last Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who the other centre half at Godfrey will be? Um, there's another uh, another decision to be made. My, my my opinion, for what it's worth, if anybody's interested, would be Mina. I think yeah. that I yeah. think if you look at what West Ham have got, they've got Antonio, who's quick and strong, so he he yeah. kind of brings a bit of everything. But they've also got the threat of Suchek, haven't they? So you think, well, yeah, you've got Michael Keane. I think I, I really rate him highly as a, as a pure defender, but everybody knows he's not quick on the turn. So you're thinking, well, if if Antonio comes up against him, that could be an issue. So you think, well, Mean is a little bit quicker. Plus, Mean is pretty good in the air. And I just look back and think, yeah. Mean and Godfrey had a really really strong game together at Leeds. Um, yeah. So I think that might give Carlo some some hope. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if you see West Ham play away from home, but certainly see him on Monday is lots of forwards running quickly towards the, the opposition goal, which is not necessarily Michael Keane's game, is it? It's not the one thing you want to see Michael Keane being set to them. Um, which is funny talking about the David Moyes team, isn't it? Because you think it'd be the other way around, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, just lumping balls into the box for the big man and then picking up uh, picking up the second ball. But I think, uh, yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, any, any, uh, any difference of opinion on how we should play tomorrow? No, I think the the four three three is completely right, and I think you know those centre back options are probably what I'd go for. Really. So who's 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 your three then? Is is it Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, and? Well, that that's 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 the issue I'm having. I I just don't think Alex Wobie's earned his place in the side. Yeah, so, I get that. Get that. So I I I'd wonder. Do you play King? I mean, and it's well, it's, that, this eternal conversation about Josh King and <laughs> yeah. will he ever get a start? But. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Like if you if you're gonna if you're gonna go if you're gonna go full at West Ham, I think Josh King's quicker than a Wobi. And I think he offers a little bit more of a goal threat than a Wobi as well. You know, he had one uh, against Aston Villa, didn't he? Which he flashed just wide of the post. And it, it just made me think to myself, if he'd have been able to, you know, get his eye in from the start of the game, would he have been able to find the bottom corner with a with a shot like that? So I'd, I'd be tempted to play. To play Josh King and just go like full, full all out on the counter attack at them because I think that's maybe going to be the best way to go. And I think even I'd even put Bernard ahead of Wobie at the minute as well, to be honest, because yeah. he, I know I know he's obviously in a weird position where he nearly left in January and he's probably no. going to leave in the summer. But yeah, it, it just offers something a little bit different, doesn't it? And I, and I think you know for for all the will in the world whenever we've been throwing Alex Awobi at the at the issue over the last few weeks and months it's just not been sticking and something's something's not really clicking with him at the minute so I wouldn't I wouldn't want us to just fall back on that again like I know obviously 
Carlo trusts him because he's a very versatile player, and you mm. know when he's on his when he's on his game, he's obviously a very very talented footballer. But he's just not showing that enough for me. So I'd want to give somebody else a chance a, a chance to do that. And I think probably John uh, King would be my shout for that. To be honest, yeah, just say that Phil. I think I agree with that. I said it will be there, but just because we need somebody to play on the right hand side. But I think thinking about it, you're going to play mm. King. Think about think about it. You're going to play King. This is the game to play him, isn't it? Really. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it's a must-win must win game. It sort of stops them. You know, you don't want them getting ahead of us. Um, so you, you, you've got to you've got to go for it. And I think, as you say, I think Sadam will be there. But taking a bit of a fly. But if I think about it, I think King is probably the the option. Yeah. Uh, there. yeah. And it just feels, and I know Iwobi would 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 disagree if he was listening to us speak about this. But it does feel at this point. In where Iwobi is <clears throat> in terms of his his trajectory of form, coming off the bench is where we're going to see the best of him at the moment. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, I think we saw we saw that against Aston Villa, didn't we? And I think he had in his other start as well. Did he come off after like the hour mark and something mm. like that? So yeah, he's just not he's just not producing it from the start at the minute, which is a shame because obviously we we know what he can do. But he's just he's just not doing it consistently yeah. enough. And to be fair, I don't think he's the only player in the squad that you can oh, no. yeah. that kind of criticism at. But it's just it's just very evident with him, isn't it? And you know, when you've got somebody like Josh King who's waiting in the wings and obviously chomping at the bit to try and to try and prove himself, I think this is probably the kind of game where you try and unleash him. Absolutely. Okay, quickly moving on to a new uh, statement from UEFA. <laughs> Say again. Gav love that when I said unleash yeah, him. Yeah, unleash him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a fire, fire up frenzy. Josh King arriving there, you know. Well, he, in, should, in he, a, should, yeah. he, he should be absolutely champing yeah, at yeah. date, shouldn't he? Because yeah, he barely, yeah. barely played. And if the, if the manager says to him at the hotel today, Josh, finally, it's the day, mate. Yeah. You're going to start. He should be absolutely just raring yeah. to go. But, is, yeah. is, he, is he not? Am I right in saying he's not started the game yet? Or am I just. No, nope, yeah, hasn't started yet. Not yet. Yeah. So. so. It, make, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. No place for Sigurdsson there, by the way, you saying. No, no, but, you know, yeah, okay. Sigurdsson, again, Sigurdsson off the bench has, has shown in spells this season that he's, yeah. he can be useful, can't he? So. Absolutely. Um, Gav, we'll stay with you. Uh, you wait for. Produced a statement yesterday confirming what, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, punishment and in inverted commas there, dead dishing out. I'll just read you a couple of parts from the BBC yeah. report that's obviously just keeps it nice and simple. The nine of the 12 clubs have agreed to make a combined 13.4 million pound goodwill contribution to benefit children's and grassroots football across Europe. Yeah. Okay, good, it's going to important causes, probably could have been trebled, quadrupled, but never mind. Uh, they will also have. 5% of UEFA competition revenues withheld for one season starting 23-24 and this money will yeah. be redistributed. Um, UEFA not issuing bans, not going above what would seem to me, Gavin, I don't know if you'd agree, pretty flimsy financial uh, sanctions. Uh, flimsy uh, is... <laughs> I know 15 million is a lot of money for a lot of people, but yeah, yeah. Given the, some of the threats that were made a couple of weeks ago, uh, found a bit of a letdown. Um, I think the, the the problem with this is is UEFA need the clubs probably more than clubs need UEFA mm. in some respects. 
Uh, and that's always a dangerous situation to be in. Um, you know, you say ban. I spoke about this the other week. If you say, oh, ban, ban all the clubs for three years. Well, you've got TV contracts to negotiate. You've got sponsorship deals in place. Now, if you banned six biggest clubs in Europe for, for two or three years in the Champions League, first thing you'd have is your sponsors and stuff saying, oh, hang on a minute, this is not the deal we signed up to. Mm. You know, um, as much as I, I appreciate the, the, you know, that there has to be a, um, a punishment. I, I, so I think I was thought that was never going to be a viable option, uh, as indeed fines, because what's 15 million, you know, for I mean, 5% for a couple, uh, what you get from Europe, if you do most, if you win the Champions League, what's you get 120 million, something like that, I can't remember what the figures yeah. are, but it's nothing, is it? But a season, you, you, you take that. The disappointing one for me, Phil, which I can't, I haven't got it to hand, was that if they play, is there's a there's a line that says if they play in a competition that's unsanctioned, then they will get a fine of a hundred million quid, isn't it? Yes, hundred million euros. The nine the nine clubs face fines of a hundred million euros if they seek to join an unauthorized competition in the future, and yeah. a fine of half of that if they breach any other terms of the declaration which has been drawn yeah. up. UEFA said in but a statement. Yeah, that's the, that, that's the disappointing one for me. That should have been watertight, where he said you're not allowed to play in another competition. End yeah. of. Mm. Yeah. Because their, their argument will be is, but the, the, the option there is, well, I'll tell you what, we're getting 300 million quid for playing in the Super League, and you wait for going to finals 100 million, so we're still 200 million up. Um, and that's the disappointing one for me. That It's a bit like what the Premier League have looked at, isn't it, about signing up, you, you can't play in any, you know, and if you do, you may lose your license or whatever that's that's the one it should have just been you were not allowed to play another competition full stop yeah or resign or resign um, from or resign from or, yeah 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 just resign and you know it, you know and I just think that, that that's a deal that that should have been made far tighter uh, but it, well it shows you really for all the the blocks of the other week from UEFA it shows you where the power base is in, in European mm. football unfortunately yeah um, and I mean, and also as well, I know we're still ongoing, and maybe this, you know, that the you know the twenty four twenty five Champions League legacy qualification yeah. stuff. You know, I don't know if that will be looked at, but there, there was there is there is other ways of looking at it. But it was that line. What was the point? Hundred million quid. I mean, with all due respect, Abu Dhabi Group or whatever, hundred million quid. What is it worth? Five hundred eighty six billion quid. Hundred million is not going to be a lot of money, is it? Um, so that it was that line that that yeah. disappointed me. Yeah, I think we yet to sort of hear officially from what what the Premier League intend to do. Do you think they'll come down firmer than UEFA? Do you hope they'll come down firmer than UEFA? Well, I don't think it'd be that much harder to come down firmer than UEFA. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't particularly think that they will. I think I think it's just it's just a real shame, isn't it? And it's it's really. It's really disappointing that we can see such such limp punishments as this. To be honest, because it's it's just not it's just not affecting anything. Like you know, this this morning as we're recording on Saturday, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus have all released a joint statement, which which is just baffling and includes the phrase. Given that the material issues that led to the twelve founding clubs to announce the Super League weeks ago have not gone away, so. Th- their minds, their minds haven't changed. So, what, what is, what is a hundred million euro fine really 
really going to do to stop them in the future. I, I don't think it's any sort of deterrent at all because I think that's what that's what we needed to have really put in place here. It wasn't, you know, obviously it was about punishing them for what they tried to do. Yes, but it was about establishing a deterrent for the future as well because yes. you know, we 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 very much know that this has been a conversation for years and years. This hasn't this hasn't just sprung up out of nowhere about the Super League. So we needed to establish a proper deterrent for the future to make sure that this didn't happen again. And I just don't think that UEFA have managed to do that at all. I think they needed to have some sort of bans in place, some sort, you know, some sort of actual sanctions rather than rather than just monetary, because you know that's that's what they that's what these clubs would have wanted. They would have been fine just going, oh yeah, there's there's a little bit of a fine. We're we're happy enough to pay that, as Gav says, you know. We're getting three hundred million if we if we potentially sign up for this super league. So it like it's just it's just pennies to us if we were if we were to pay a fine such as that one. So I, I just don't think that there's a suitable deterrent at all uh, for these for these clubs from UEFA. And you know, with UEFA setting that sort of precedent, I just can't see the Premier League really really well, going against the grain in in that sort well, of sense. Well, that that is that is a concern, isn't it? That UEFA have really set the stall out for football generally and. I suppose it's how it's how bold the Premier League and <clears throat> and how independent I suppose is it, you know to for, to to use a, a phrase they feel in this because if the Premier League go if you attempt you know if they if they decide to say look if any team attempts to break away again it's not just a fine it's expulsion that's that's different isn't it but mm. as you say I think the fear would be at this stage that the Premier League would, would follow some form of suit but hopefully not. Well, that's it. You, yeah. You'd hope that the other, you'd hope that the other fourteen clubs would be able to stand up and band together and be able to, you know, produce a, a bit of a stand on this. But and that, and that is that is the only hope, really. That you know, hope with with you know fourteen clubs all involved in making this decision, then you'd hope that you know the fo- the football side of things will be able to come out and they'll be able to see a little bit further into the future than UEFA do. Do who would just you know. You're just completely looking after themselves in their own pockets, aren't they? I mean, and I'm, I've got no doubt in my mind that there'll be, you know, people in the Premier League who'll who'll feel the same, and that's why, in my head, I, I just think that they're probably going to toe the party line, as it were, and you know, only go, only go with fines. But you know, I would, I would hope that you know, with actual fo- actual football clubs being involved in the decision on on a Premier League level, then I would hope that they would uh, be able to see a little bit further into the future and they'd be able to. Uh, spot this kind of issue Gav yeah and I was just going to say because there's obviously talk this owner's charter isn't in the Premier League of signing up to the integrity of the competition and strong sanctions if you do this again and I think I think the Premier League is in some respects is, it's easier isn't it to you know you've only got one, it's only one country isn't it 20 clubs um, it's easy to, to put something in place and you can have government backing and so on uh, I think that ultimately I know you know, there is like talk of expulsion, isn't it, and stuff, uh, or you know, really big punishment. So I think Premier League is easier than than UEFA, um, but we'll see. I mean, do the thing with UEFA one. You don't know what conversations going on behind closed doors, do you? Mm. You know, we'll 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 minimise your punishment and keep you in the competition. You know, keep keep you in the European competition the next three years. But as part of that deal, by the way. You're not going to be doing this for the next three years, but that's not that's not yeah. written in set in stone, you know. <laughs> I, I I just thinking 
that that is one option I'm, I'm thinking about here. If there's a sort of unwritten agreement to keep keep we're going we we want to ban you and really hate you, but actually we want you as well because you drive our revenues. So why don't we have a a compromise agreement? We'll minimise the fine, keeping Europe in competition. But there is an unwritten or unpublicised agreement yeah. between the twelve clubs, and you wait for that. We will not be looking at the Super League going forward for the next three years. Yeah. So until the twenty four twenty five season starts, when they're looking at the Champions League, yeah. I, I could I could envis- I, I could envi- envisage a scenario like that. To, you know, smoke and mirrors, all this type of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, could could well be, Gav. Yeah, no interest in. Uh... We wait and see to see what uh, the Premier League decide and we will discuss that um, on the pod when, uh, as and when. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Two things before we finish, conscious of time. Um, before we come on to predictions, Adam, James Carragher, son of Jamie, uh, Everson want to sign him in talks with Wigan uh, with the intention of him going into the under-23s. You know, not not often an under twenty three signing gathers as much attention, but this one really, uh, really caught fire yesterday. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an eye catching one, isn't it? Definitely. You know, Jamie Carragher, who's obviously had, you know, his his long sort of history with Everton and Liverpool, hasn't he? You know, being a boiled, boiled blue and all that. So, you know, I'm sure he'd be, I'm sure he'd be delighted to see his son <laughs> linked with Everton. And I think it would be, to be fair, I think it would be interesting to see how it affects, you know, the under twenty threes. Centre back situation because you know obviously you think Connors and Edis is probably going to be leaving this summer, isn't mm. he? Uh, and he's been you know a mainstay of the side this season. We'll have Jared Branthway coming back from loan, Lewis Gibson coming back from loan, but you you've got to wonder where his future is going to lie as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see you know how how we how he kind of shakes things up and you know how long he'd even stay in the under twenty threes. Is he eighteen? Eighteen now, James Carragher. So you know you you're thinking to yourself. He can put it put it together a decent run. Is he going to be? Is he going to be on the cusp of the first team very soon? You know, that's that that's obviously the kind of the kind of hope that you're going to have, isn't it? Because you know, how how mad would it see to be to see you know Carragher Carragher at centre back forever? Just be just be bizarre, wouldn't it? But you know, hopefully, hopefully, if Everton are able to get that over the line, that's that's got to be you know the. The kind of pathway that he's going to be looking at for the future, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. fing- fingers crossed, we can uh, we can get it over the line, and we can you know really really see what happens here. Yeah, and uh, Gav J- Jamie may may well get to live out his own boyhood dream, but through yeah. his son. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Me, me and Carragher share the same birthday. Uh, obviously, a few years between us. Um, <laughs> he's older than you, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, a couple of decades, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was thinking out loud here about the, uh, it was the last, where, where a father's played for one of the Merseyside clubs and the son's played for the other, you knowing the first team. The one that came to mind was Johnny Morrissey. Because Johnny Morrissey senior starter, let's go, they play for Evan, but Johnny Morrissey junior played for Evan in the mid, uh, in the mid 80s for we had a couple of games, uh, before obviously had a, like a really good career at Tramir, didn't he, Johnny Morrissey yeah. junior? Um, so that'll be, That'd be yeah. the last one I can think of. There may be, yeah. there may be more sense, but I can, I can only think of that. To be fair, yeah. A non-Merseyside, of course. We've got Danny Mills's lads in the under twenty threes at Everton. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So with the England two thousand and two squad, we've uh, we have cup squad. <laughs> we, we, so, so, 
sort of the yeah, 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 hoovering off all the, the the you know all the you know the sons, you know. But yeah. no, yeah, yeah, it's 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 an incestimony. I mean, you, you, and the thing is, you know, it's going to be because he's a decent player, isn't he? You know, you, know, yeah, you could imagine. You, 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 the other thing I'd say about generally my experience is sons of former pros tend to be very good pros themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's always the, especially Carragher was like right at the top end of being a good pro, wasn't he? Right, you know, in yeah. terms of uh, making the most of his ability and stuff, uh, as he shows as a pundit as well. And you, you would imagine that his his lads come from good stock there and has been well tutored and now to be a professional uh, professional footballer, which, which will, will help as part of his natural talent as well. Yeah, absolutely, a, a very good mentor. Okay, uh, before we uh, say farewell, customary predictions time. Adam, West Ham versus Everton, 4.30 tomorrow at London Stadium. Uh, how's it going to go? <laughs> so hard, isn't it? You know, Everton away from home give you that got it, that little bit of extra confidence, but that's just without, without James being there, even if, <laughs> even if Decore's back, I, I've still got I've still got me doubts about this game. If I'm completely honest, I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for a one-one draw, and I think that'll be pretty that'll be pretty disappointing if I'm if I'm honest. But so yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, well, as we said earlier, Carlo <clears throat> saying in Italian newspaper yesterday that basically, if we win, we'll get Europe. If we lose, we won't. Gav, how's it gonna go? The only thing about this game is we're just thinking about how much we play again. Is it Thursday to be played? Thursday yeah. night. Yeah. And then we've got another game next Sunday. weekend. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we've got three games in a week, haven't we, really? Which is not ideal. Uh, I, I can't see us winning. I mean, if West Ham play, I mean, West Ham play like they did on Monday uh, and we play like we did against Aston Villa, it could be, uh, could be awkward. Um, but I think West Ham will go for it. But we have got a good record away from home with the clubs at the top ends of the uh, the table this season. Indeed. And, uh, you know, West Ham will feel the pressure. Now, I've made a case here. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, but it was, in, it was interesting. I, I, I know we want to finish, but it was interesting to see post-match on Monday where he said he's been here before. Yes. And I think that's quite an interesting aspect to, to this discussion um, that I can't see them really... You know, uh, you know, feeling the pressure. Yeah, after all that, I think, I think we'll win 3-0. Now, I, think, <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was going to go with the bottle job, uh, my bottle one or bottle job. We've seen the ads going to go with that. I'll go with it. I'm going to go with 1-0. I, I, just, I, just, I just have a feeling. If we play 4-3-3 and go for it, and maybe they'll feel the pressure, 1-0 uh, to the Mighty Blues. I, I fear we're going to have to score twice to win. I don't see us keeping a clean sheet because I think yeah, West, Ham, West Ham are, are, are good. But got to keep positive because it's all, all hinges on this game, doesn't it? 2 1 Everson. Uh, Josh King <laughs> to get the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chaps, thank you very much uh, for joining Cheers. us today. Excellent stuff as always. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, and of course, uh, best analysis, news, reaction. Across Sunday and into Monday uh, on the Echo website, I'll be down in London, Adam back at base, and of course, stay with us uh, to keep up to date with everything that's going on. Okay, this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.